Welcome to episode 10 of Living in Infinity. Uh, we have a decent list of topics to cover, but uh, to begin, we're going to talk a little bit about Threads, the new and maybe short-living uh, Twitter competitor. I'm very excited about it. <laughs> very excited about this conversation. I've seen, I don't know much about it, but what I have seen, um, what I have seen on Threads is is pretty funny. So I'm ready to, ready to dive in. Did you download it yet or get a chance to use it or anything? Mm -mm. Yeah, me, me neither. And I, I don't use Instagram anymore. So I didn't really have any, any reason to, to do it, but I thought their, their strategy was very, it was a very smart strategy for like onboarding users. Basically the way it worked, like if you already had an Instagram account, which majority of people do, it just you can automatically use your Instagram account to create an account on threads and it'll just like port over all of your information. Um, so I think with that strategy, they were able to hit like a hundred million users within either the first two days or something around there, like super quick, um, mm -hmm. which I guess technically makes it the fastest growing, you know, consumer social app ever. But I think I wouldn't really give it that title given that you like Instagram has a billion users. It's not like it was a fresh app, you know, like yeah. they just, it was a bunch of existing users. They just immediately brought over. Um, so that, uh, brings to mind, uh, when I was like 10 and really into the Guinness book of world records, uh, one of the records was the world's, uh, best-selling video game. And it was Wii sports the one that just <laughs> automatically comes with the console. And that is just right. exactly what that is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So kind of cheating on that statistic. And I think a lot of people understood that the more important thing was like, okay, you know, Instagram launches a new consumer social product. I think we all could have guessed that there was going to be a lot of people that sign up and use it. The question is, are people going to stay and continue using it? Which my prediction from the beginning was, if anyone has a chance of putting out a good Twitter competitor, it would be Instagram, given just the massive user base they already have. But I still did not see this like being a success because there have been so many Twitter competitors that have popped up over time. I mean, even some now like Rumble, Truth Social, like a lot of these off-brand Twitters that just never really took off. Um, the the like consistency that Twitter has people that are using it and have been using it for years and years now, that's very, very hard to replicate. There's like a culture on Twitter that you just can't really recreate. Um, so I didn't really see this being a success. And then, I mean, I don't want to say it's like, I think it's too early to say that threads is a complete failure um, just because it's only been like two weeks, but the statistics that are coming out as of right now are pretty, pretty rough. It's not looking good for threads. Um, what I saw was after the first week, uh, daily users were down 20% and then the user time spent was down 50%. Um, so, I mean, that alone, like if you're not really making it past the first week and your retention's already that bad, it's looking pretty rough for, for threads. Uh, and then another one. Another one that I saw, this was posted July 14th. Day one retention was only 37%. So like after just 24 hours, 
only 37% of users would stick around. And then after seven days, it was only 16%. So, and if you look at the retention wow. compared to, let's say Twitter, Twitter's day one retention is 46%. And then the day seven is 35%. So way more people are consistently using Twitter. It's not looking good for threats, but we'll see if they can kind of turn that around. But have you also, have you seen like, there's already like tons of censorship stuff happening on threads. Have you seen any images of that? Yeah. So I saw one tweet. Um, I saw one tweet. It was a picture of, um, this was a picture of like two tweets. The first one from this lady being like, oh, I'm excited about threads. It's about time somebody started a, like a proper whatever social media to compete against Twitter. Um, and she was all about like, going to be, I think she was all about like, oh, it's going to be like very uh, productive for conversation and discussion or whatever. And then the very next tweet was a, a picture of her getting blocked for like sharing her thoughts or on whatever issue. Yeah. She was like, I saw and then that, it like yeah. clicked it. Yeah. It clicked in her head. She's like, how can we, you know, discuss things properly if you're blocking everybody? So, so yeah, I, um, I think hopefully this backfires uh, for Facebook and whoever is like pro censorship. And it kind of like makes a lot of people who uh, are in favor of that stuff. It makes them realize like, wait a minute, this is just, it just doesn't work. Yeah. I think it's, it's never been, if, and all the other Twitter competitors have proven this, it's never been a smart business model to create like a consumer social business wrapped around the idea of it being an alternative of something that's already like the mainstream. Like if you're like Threads, for example, or True Social or any of these other ones, like the only people that are signing up and using that are like the the rejects of Twitter, basically, like the people that are against Twitter. Like that's mm -hmm. just not like a healthy community that you're building on the app that's going to stick around, create quality content that's going to get a lot of people to use it. Uh -huh. So, yeah, I mean, I I don't see this working long term. That would be my guess, but it'll be interesting to see what the evolution of this app is over like the next several months or so. Because from what I've from what I've heard from people that have used it, because I personally haven't, it's like a well-built app. Like it's very fast, clean to use, very simple, which is to be expected from a company like Instagram. But that only goes so far. If you want to build a social media website that people use consistently all the time, like it's all about the people that use it. And right now everybody is on Twitter. So I just don't see any reason why someone would want to like leave Twitter and start using threads more actively, try to rebuild their entire audience all over again. Like it's just, it's not going to happen. Yeah. Um, you kind of cut out there for a second. So I missed that last part, but, uh, yeah, so it's interesting with notes. Um, I think that is their problem on Substack. Uh, so notes is like Substack's Twitter competitor. And uh, so, uh, there's no censorship to my knowledge. Like that was their, I mean, I think that's always been Substack's thing. Like they're just very pro open free speech. So, uh, that's certainly not the issue there. But it's, yeah, it's definitely, I think, I don't know how it's doing, like, performance-wise, like, how many people are on it. I, I get on it every now and then. 
Um, but it's, yeah, it's definitely just not as good at Twitter. And I think partly it's because it's not um, as well built as your Twitter or thread, as Twitter or thread might be. And then also, yeah, there's something to that, like, it's the rejects of Twitter. Not saying that the people on it are, like, uh, not successful or whatever, but um, it just seems to be, like, consistent of mainly, like, small writing niche communities. Um, yeah. And so I just, like, it's hard to get prominent people who you know. It's hard to, like, see them. Um, and then... I mean, like, certainly that, like, the algorithm's not as good. You get, like, just a hodgepodge of, like, random topics, which are, like, they're interesting, but it's not, uh, it's certainly yeah. not an algorithm that's, like, fostered to you. So you got to do some work mm -hmm. to get to some interesting stuff. And Is Notes built into Substack, or is there a completely separate, mm -hmm. like, website and platform, like the way Instagram and threads are separate? No, there, it's all. You just go on the subsite.com and then you see like, the, yeah, you just see it right there. Okay. That's kind of what I see happening to threads once Instagram realizes it's not really taken off. I think they'll try to maybe combine them into a single app. Um, like you have one feed for your image posts of Instagram and then another feed for the text-based posts on threads. Um, and even that, like, yeah. I think if they certain. did that, it would at least help, like, make it way easier for users to, like, be retained and use it as opposed to, like, switching between apps back and forth, you know? That would actually be sweet. I, I think I would really like that. They're combined? Like, it, but, it, you know, if Twitter did something like that where you could say what you want and stuff. Yeah. Also, by the way, I'm I'm on vacation so, right now in Florida, so Wi-Fi is a bit spotty. So if there's like any delay between our responses, it's just because I have a pretty bad connection here. Yeah, you're you're cutting in and out a little bit, but I think it'll I think it'll still work. Um, but yeah, it's hmm. it's interesting though uh, to think about what makes Twitter so successful. Because it seems so easy, but or it seems so like simple, but you see it time and time again. Companies just fail to to uh, to keep up to to get it right. Yeah, and two, I, I this kind of came to mind while we're on the topic of Twitter. Uh, I think it was last week that the first round of payouts went out for like the top creators on on Twitter. So basically, Twitter has started a new. Um, ad share program where a revenue share program through ads where basically for some for all the creators that are getting there's like a certain threshold i think you have to hit where it's like maybe five million impressions per month if you're above this threshold then twitter will put ads on your tweets like in the replies and you you will get paid for all of the ad share revenue that comes from the views of these ads on your tweets. And so the first round of payouts went out last week and a lot of people were like posting screenshots of how much they they had gotten paid. And I think it was like backlogged to, or the revenue was collected up until like February, I think. So around, around like five months worth of ad share revenue that came from it. But there were people that 
the, I think the highest payout that I saw was like over $50,000, which is like 10 grand a month, um, just from tweeting. And so I'm surprised that like, this isn't something Twitter did years ago under the previous management. Like this is just makes so much sense to me as far as incentivizing people to stay on Twitter, post consistently, post really good content too. So yeah, this is like super exciting for really any, anyone with an audience that wants to be able to like monetize their Twitter following. That idea of ad, was it ad sharing, ad revenue sharing? Yeah. That's ingenious. I mean, I can't believe that, uh, yeah, like you said, I can't believe they didn't do that before. And I mean, I don't like Instagram doesn't do that. Um, and I know your other social media platforms do that, uh, as far as I'm aware. Uh, so yeah, it's just crazy. It took so long to, to get that in place somewhere. Yeah. I think a couple of months ago, Instagram was doing like a little pilot program for this. And it seemed like people weren't really that crazy about it. I don't know all the specific details of it. The only other ones that I know that do this are like YouTube, obviously, which they are extremely successful with doing that. Um, and Snapchat as well. They started doing it, I think last year. And I've seen a lot of people that are now like super, super successful just from posting on, on Snapchat all day. Um, so now Twitter kind of adopting the same model. It's super interesting because they'll be the first like text-based platform that is now doing, um, revenue sharing for ads. And so it's just kind of like, well, and what'd you say the right. threshold was like, you had to get like, how many views proposed do you have to get? in order to get in on the money? As of right now, it was like during this like initial, I guess, test pilot program of it, it was like, I want to say 5 million impressions per month. Um, I think that was the number. And you have to be subscribed to Twitter Blue. Um, so anyone that's not paying for Twitter Blue doesn't get access to this at all, which I think is also super funny because a lot of like big accounts that have large followings that were like against Twitter blue for, cause they hate Elon or like whatever reason it was, they've now just missed out on thousands and thousands of dollars that they could have had because they're like, they, they were just like too people. stuck up or whatever to worry about it. Yeah. Yeah. That's hilarious. That is, that is just the ultimate irony. Yeah. So now it's like for all those people that were against buying Twitter blue, and they have big followings. It's like either you have to just like put your differences aside and subscribe or like face the fact that you are missing out on thousands of dollars a month for whatever moral reasons that you might have. Like at, at this point, you just look silly if you're not, if you have a big following and you're not paying for Twitter blue. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They really have to compromise their, their morals there. That's just pretty, oh, that's pretty funny to me. <laughs> right. They're, uh, yeah, they're silly morals, <laughs> mm -hmm. but, uh, basically, yeah. Uh, speaking of that, the whole, uh, Elon Zuckerberg beef, I've seen just a lot of people that are not a fan of it. And then it just got me thinking about like Elon's sense of humor. I really, I don't know. To me, it's just, it's just funny. Is that, is that wrong? Like, am I wildly missing the mark? Like, I just, I see his, like, his more like let's just call them his stupid tweets. They're just funny. I, 
And yeah, and I don't know. Does that make me a bad person? That's like that's a legit question. But I'm I'm really interested to know. No, I think I'm the same way. I think people take things way too seriously. Like lighten up a bit, relax. A lot of the stuff he's tweeting is just like meant to be a joke. And like I think also too, he likes to kind of poke the bear a little bit just to like stir up engagement and stuff on Twitter, which is smart. But for the most part, like he's just he's just making jokes on Twitter. Like I think people take things way too far and like they try to find, you know, the evil and everything when in reality, like it's it's not it's not that deep, you know. And it's just like what do you prefer? Do you prefer a world with just no jokes? Is that what you want? Right. Uh, yeah. I just I don't know. I just I saw read an article like that was just dogging on it and I mean, when I, I, when I come across ridiculous stuff, I just, I do want to like really consider it. Cause it's like, I don't know, maybe I'm way off the mark, but in this case, it still seems ridiculous to just be all that worked up about it, about his jokes. Yeah. I think it's just become, I mean, we've seen this for like, I would say the past several years now, it's just become like the cool thing to hate on, on Elon or his companies or anything. Like, I think when people see super popular things whether it's a person a company a product whatever it makes them like feel smart to go against whatever's popular and i think in some cases that does make sense but for the vast majority of things it's like things are popular for a reason like elon isn't the most successful and most famous person on earth for no reason like there's lots of valid reasons for that and so I think people get like this moral high ground feeling whenever they go against big things like that. But in reality, I think it just makes them look more silly than anything. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, trying to think. I mean, we're on the topic of Elon. Do we want to talk about his XAI? Yeah, sure. So I guess to start off, like this was, a, they announced XAI last week, or maybe the week before. Um, and the goal of XAI is from their website, it says that their goal is to understand, the goal of XAI is to understand the universe, which I think is just like, a, I'm trying to wrap my head around what exactly they're, like how exactly they're hoping to accomplish like a you know, a safe and smart AGI. Um, cause they are, they are trying to build an AGI at the end of the day, but from what Elon has said and what from other people in the company have said, they, their theory on how to build the most useful and uh, safest AGI is to build one that is genuinely curious about the nature of the universe and a lot of our unsolved questions. And I'm just, I'm still like, I've been thinking about this for a while. I'm still trying to wrap my head around what exactly that even means and how building an AGI that is designed to, to do that will lead to like a, the best outcome. It's just like a very far out there theory. And so, yeah, I mean, I'd like to hear your thoughts on it. Like, what are you thinking as far as. Like, does this make sense to you? Or are you also still trying to wrap your head around what exactly their goal is, what it means? Um, 
it, uh, it's a little bit of both. So it makes sense to me, um, because I think by me, by creating an AGI that's like curious about the world, it, um, that seems to me to allow it the best chance of developing a good view of humanity. Cause it'll just look out in the world and be like, um, maybe it will, it will help it recognize the fact that, um, we are overall more beautiful than we are harmful. Uh, um, because I think like, let's say you make it objective driven in another way, like it wants to, uh, I don't know, expand intelligence, um, to the maximum that to me seems to, uh, allow it the chance to develop or to see humans in a negative way. Like it will maybe, uh, be more inclined to recognize our bad aspects uh, more than it will recognize our good aspects. Um, I don't know why that specifically is, but that's just is my initial thoughts on it, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it does. And I, I tend to agree as well. Like a lot of the examples that um, people have given for potential bad, bad outcomes of AGI, um, like if you tell an AGI to make, like you say, make me a sandwich and it like literally turns you into a sandwich, like that's like an outcome or, or like an outcome driven response. Whereas with the, the, that could leave a lot of like room for misinterpretation. Whereas if you build an AGI that its goal is to just genuinely be curious about a lot of our unsolved questions, whether it's uh, the nature of the universe or like where aliens are like a lot of these are like a lot of the different topics that they had they had mentioned on their announcement website um, but if you just build one that's genuinely curious then i guess it makes sense that it would be a lot less inclined to like do any harm to to humans um, because we are a part of the universe and like it would be it wouldn't make sense for it to like you know try to harm us in any way but i still just think I don't know. It's like a, it's, I sort of so, think like okay, a very so far. What if, Go ahead. Okay. Sorry. So we both agree on that, but like, what if it develops this idea like, okay, to really understand the nature of humanity, we have to like test it, you know? Uh, so then I think that could lead it to, okay, well, we're just going to see what, um, I, I think that would lead it to interact with humans, which then opens up the door to it. Uh, you know, screwing with us. Uh, so that seems like a possibility or it could go the other way where it just like observes us, uh, which I think that yeah. is the safe way. Yeah, I agree. I, I don't know. I think it's, it, a lot of this is just still hard to wrap our heads around, I think, because we don't have any idea of like what an AGI would look like, what it would be capable of doing or how it would interact with us. And so, I don't know, it'd be super interesting to see how this progresses over time. And I think they said that they were going to release details about consumer products being put out within the next few months. Um, I don't think it's going to be released within the next few months. I think they just said they were going to release details on it, but their initial goal of why this was even created was just to create a 
open AI competitor. So I had imagined their first products that they're going to put out is just like a alternative to chat GPT, um, for their own models. And, uh, so we'll kind of get to interact with what their first version of this is going to look like, but, um, so kind of in general, yeah. Sure. No, you're good. Go ahead. Okay. I was going to say in oh. general, I think it's like, it's just good that like, we're finally seeing some more chat GPT competitors come around. Um, cause it's not like ideal that open AI is really like the only super solid player in the space at the moment. Yeah. So I am interested in, so it says here, Elon Musk said the goal with XAI is to build a good AGI with the purpose of understanding the universe. Um, okay. So that's interesting to me because I want to see what it finds and then compare it to Christianity's view of the world. Um, because, uh, um, I have come to see Christianity as like just the worldview that makes the most sense. Um, I don't mean that in like, a, I want it to be true. I like find comfort in that. I mean, like I've, I've just, I've read a lot. It is just where that reading has taken me. I just really think like Christianity's understanding of the world is just like pretty spot on in terms of, uh, good, bad whatever uh whatever all is included in that and i just want to see like if this xai like i i I think there's just a good chance it's going to develop that same kind of thing um and then if it doesn't you know will also be interesting because i will but like i think elon thinks that this will just probably produce some novel understanding of the universe it will just like bring us information that we can't even fathom at this moment. But I think there's a good chance it's just going to reaffirm maybe what we already know. Just a thought. I'm not, I'm not willing to die, to die on that hill, maybe just yet, but, mm-hmm. but that's, that's going to be interesting. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I'm kind of just skimming through this summary of the discussion that they had on Twitter spaces. It said, Musk said that there's so much that we understand or that we think we understand, but we don't in reality. There's a lot of unresolved questions. Um, for example, there's a lot of, a lot of questions that remain about the nature of gravity, why there's no evidence of aliens, etc. Um, and so, or a truth seeking super intelligence, humanity is much more interesting than not having humanity, but that's their logic for uh, the safest way to create an AGI and they want the AGI to be maximum curious and truth curious. Um, that's kind of where his initial name truth GPT came from, which I really hope they don't call it that. I think that's like the scary name. I'd rather them not do that, but yeah, I'm super excited to see what is produced of this. Cause it's not like, uh, Every company that I guess is attempting AGI, it's just been like a, it has like a very corporate feel to it. And I don't really like that when we're talking about AGI, this is just kind of like way more out there. And I guess, and with Elon being kind of leading the helm there, it's like grounded in like first principles thinking. And that's why they want it to just like be built to try and understand 
humanity and our reality. So maybe they're onto something here. Maybe they're way off base in terms of how to build an AGI, but yeah, it actually said in a couple of weeks, they're going to release more details on their first like product that's going to come out. So that'll be, um, that'll be super interesting to see. And like I mentioned before, it's good to finally see like some more competition come into the, the space for, for AGI. Uh, yeah, certainly. Yeah, I think the, the more the merrier in terms of competition. Um, it will be, yeah, and like you said, I, I think it's nice to see one that's like, it's like it's less corporate and more um, just, it's like more like life-based. That's, that's right. uh, does that make sense? Yeah, that's a good way to put okay. it. Yeah. And so that will be interesting. I've been, um, I have been curious to see how, because like I said, Christianity to me makes sense. I don't have a clue how AI plays into it. Like the story of Christianity, you kind of just think it's like humans all the way, but then it's increasingly looking like we're going to integrate with technology, maybe just become technology. And, um, that's just all very interesting to me. And I don't know if I have any more thoughts on it at the moment, but I have, I'm just, I see, I have like this perception of the world and then there's this reality that we're in now with AI and they don't mix. And so something needs to click for me. So I, you know, to, yeah, but until that happens, I guess I'm just, I don't know. I feel like I'm stuck in this world or I don't know. I'm lost in this all. Uh, right hours, right so <laughs> um well i guess on the topic of like other ai competitors um, apple recently announced that they're building an ai chatbot called apple gpt um, and this is the first time that apple has like explicitly mentioned ai um, even in their last like developer conference. I don't think they mentioned AI a single time. Uh, so this is the first time that they're explicitly saying we're working on an AI project. They said that it's going to be, there's a consumer product aimed to be released next year. Um, I would imagine, I mean, the most obvious thing that this is going to look like is uh, a Siri upgrade. Um, and I'd imagine too, like you can talk to it, chat with it. Um, and then just with, I, I think Apple has the mo some of the most to gain from, from AI, just because they, they have a massive, massive, like fleet of products across the entire globe, whether it's phones, computers, uh, like they have the most, I guess, reach in terms of deploying consumer technology. And so not only that, but they collect absurd amounts of data through all these devices as well. So. They have a lot, lots of gain from that. And I'm really excited to see what they're going to come out with too. And I think it's, it's well due because I honestly don't know anyone that really uses theory consistently. Like it's pretty bad. I don't ever really use it. I think the most that I ever use it for is like setting timers when I'm cooking. So I don't have to do it with my hands, but like beyond that, I don't ever use Siri. So imagining like a chat GPT that's just built into your phone that you can talk with and it talks back to you 
and it can actually do tasks for you as well, like natively on your device. That's something that I think a lot of people would actually pay money for consistent access to use. I mean, people already pay for ChatGPT. Now imagine ChatGPT can interact with all of the apps on your phone or all of the stuff on your computer. I I know, I would say with a lot of certainty that there's definitely going to be like a like a freed version of whatever they're going to come out with and also like paid versions as well. Because um, Apple is like, as we know, they're just like very, very good at software. Yep. That'll be, um, that'll help me a lot with my text messages. I'm so bad about texting yeah. people. So hopefully I, that will, that will help me out in that department. I know my mom would appreciate it, but also right. then, um, <laughs> yeah, uh, but also then it's just that, uh, it's not a new problem, but if the AI is talking for you, uh, and that puts a middleman in between, you know, our in interperson personal, real, uh, communications. And so that'll have an interesting effect on the world, I imagine, mm -hmm. uh, cause we're already becoming, uh, perhaps a little more distant from one another. And I think there's definitely negative effects from that. And maybe that will only increase, um, so that's something to keep an eye on. Um, yeah, I, yeah. So this is a unrelated thing, but I recently watched the movie Sound of Freedom. Uh, um, and my aunt said like the problems presented in that movie are a consequence of like a lack of like face-to-face -face time. And, and I don't know, I've just been thinking about that. I don't think she's entirely right by that, but. Well, I've heard a lot about this movie, I don't know anything about it other than there's a lot of like controversy around it. Is that right? Yeah. So what is it about? And like, what's the controversy? Cause I, I genuinely know nothing about this. Okay. So the premise of the movie is that it follows a guy, uh, who at the beginning of the movie is an agent for the department of Homeland security. So, um, he in that role, uh, goes after consumers of, uh, child porn. And so he, he's busting the pedophiles. Um, but after so many years of doing that, he, uh, becomes like, he wants to save the kids. So, um, uh, you know, does that make sense? Like, yeah, he's kind of fixing the problem, but these kids are still trapped in slavery and and whatever else. But the problem is, is that these kids trapped in slavery, they're outside of the U S so it's outside of his jurisdiction. So he leaves the department of Homeland security, goes on his own and starts setting up sting operations with the cooperation of like whatever law enforcement is there, whatever country he's in. Um, and he starts rescuing kids. That's the, that's mm -hmm. the movie. And, um, to be honest, I don't understand the controversy. It's yeah, it appears to be a real issue. I think it is maybe the most just like heart wrenching, obviously uh, bad, uh, pro like, it's just like, it's just so self-evident. This is a problem. Um, if in fact it is a real problem, which it seems to be. Um, so yeah, I just don't understand how anybody could really be against this movie unless it is true that child trafficking is not, uh, as big of an issue or not a thing. Um, like it is uh, portrayed in the movie. So is that 
the controversy then is like they are pr supposedly profiting off of an issue that is not that prevalent. Is that what people are complaining about? That is, well, yes, I think so. And that's like a very fair representation of their argument. Um, okay. There are probably more sinister reasons for why they're, why there's backlash against this movie. Whether that's true or not, I don't know, but yeah, it could be, yeah, it could be true. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I had seen people talking about it, but I genuinely did not know like what the movie was about, why people were complaining about it. I just, I know I, I had heard of it, but, um, that's interesting. They're worth the, worth the watch, I guess. Yep. For sure. It's also interesting. We can kind of tie this back into business to keep it on theme, but, um, it's also interesting. So it's from a studio, like a low level studio. As far as I'm concerned, it's called angel studios. I'd never heard of them. I've never seen any movie produced by them. I don't think. And, um, and so they're, but it's just killing in the box office. It's like hit a hundred million or something. Um, and, uh, you know, that's, uh, happening at the same time that, the like the staple studios are declining your Disney's your, uh, the, I mean, Disney's like the only one I know is declining for sure. But I think like all of Hollywood is like really suffering right now. Um, I mean, think about when's the last time you like saw a movie come out that you really want to see. Um, yeah. so well, it's like the writer turning, uh, huh? I said that and like the, the writer's strike, like everyone in Hollywood right now is on is on strike, so it's not really much like coming out of Hollywood. It seems like Hollywood in general is just kind of like under a lot of pressure and crumbling at the moment. Yeah, and it's just like remake after remake after remake. And, and so, yeah, Hollywood's like declining, but yet you have this movie that just comes out and just like crushes it against all odds. And so, yeah, it seems like there's a, a kind of a turning of the tide, um, similar to maybe what we're seeing in like the tech industry. Yeah, absolutely. I think over the past few years, we've just kind of seen like, um, I guess the word to use is like the, I don't know if it's the right word to use, but like sort of like the decentralization of everything. Like a lot of, a lot of stuff is just moving away from the big corporate entities and being a lot more individualized, I guess, whether it's like you mentioned, like these smaller studios that are able to put out like really solid movies or like AI being able to empower the individual to be able to produce the same level as like these larger, more corporate companies. Um, so I think that's like one of the really strong positives of AI, but I guess there's also the alternative, which is, you know, a couple, like one or two different companies that like are being the main profiters of, of AI and them kind of having control over the entire space um as far as what technology everybody's using but um yeah that's super interesting and that also tying into that i guess uh meta released their the version two of their text model which is they call it llama um so they they originally re released the version one i think it was either earlier this year but it was completely private. The only people that got access to it were through, you had to fill out an application and it was only, it was for researchers only. 
So no like consumer commercial use of it at all. But this latest version, the V2, it's now completely open source. Um, so anyone can use it for like personal or research purposes. And then you can also get a license for commercial use as well. So you can now build um, commercial applications with this. But I think the the most important thing here is that it is completely open source. And so a lot of people are now going to download this model, fine tune it for whatever use cases that they, they want in order to, to get it better, um, better performance, I guess. And so I think this is where things get a lot more interesting in terms of like very like hyper-specific AI models that are just like fine-tuned to be really good at one certain thing because now any any company can download this model download this model um, and then tune it for whatever purpose they want and so as at the moment that's not really possible like you have you're kind of using these more universal models such as chat gpt and while they are really good they're not the best for certain applications but now that companies are are starting to put out these open source models. I think that's where we're going to see a lot of like really interesting applications come out that are just like, you know, really good at whatever it is that they're, they're going to be doing. So props to, to Meta for doing this. Cause I think it's a, it's a step in the right direction. Hmm. Um, just to play devil's advocate, but now we're probably more likely to see these, uh, where, uh, you know, maybe that open source model is now going to be turned into, uh, bad, <laughs> bad applications. Right. So yeah, that's just as likely. Interesting. Yeah. This, um, I mean, that was, yeah, the whole concern with open source. And I guess here we have now, uh, um, the, the playing field set to see where that goes. Yeah. The only comforting idea I have in that aspect is that um, the, some of the, like the performance metrics that were put out on this new model, it's not like, it's, it's still not as good as like chat GPT, for example. So I think if like chat GPT were to be open source or GPT four were to be open source, that's where I'd be pretty worried, mm -hmm. but. I guess now that, I mean, now that this, this model has been put out, yeah, people are free to do, I guess, whatever they want to do with it. Um, and the, the and Lava V1 that came out, that's where like the, um, oh, what was that called? Someone, someone like gave it the goal of just creating as much destruction as possible. I forgot what it was called. Was it chaos? But yeah, chaos GPT. That was, I think, yeah. built on Lama V1. But now that they're getting so better how can, and easier to run, kind of it's like a lot can a lot could happen. Okay, so Meta is Facebook, right? It's like Zuckerberg. Yeah. So how can he simultaneously put out threads, which is like people can't do anything, you know, it's heavy on the censorship. But then he's like, we're also going to release this open source uh, AI and just like let people have at it. I don't. I don't know. Um, it it seems contradictory to me too. So I, I genuinely have no idea. I think, I guess it's maybe more of a, 
a difference in morals when it comes to their approach to AI versus their approach to social media. Cause so like Facebook, Instagram, they're trying to build this basically all they really want to do is just build a safe haven for advertisers. They, it's not, it's less consumer focused in my mind and more built around how do we just pump out as much money from advertisers as we can. Um, but so yeah, that's, that's a good point. I, I don't really, it's, it's like a very contradictory view on yeah. these two different applications. Yeah. Wow. That, uh, interesting i don't know how you can hold those positions at the same time but yeah i i don't either but the cool thing to see from this i guess is uh these models are becoming way cheaper to to train and so you're getting like this llama v2 model is is it's similar performance to chat GPT. It's not quite as good, but it's like a fraction of the size and a fraction of the cost to train. So we're still seeing AI costs go way, way down. Um, and eventually it'll be to the point where like you can have like a GPT four level performance that just runs locally on, on your phone or on your, uh, on your computer. So it doesn't need internet access. It can just, everything is stored within the model and it just stored locally, uh, which a lot of people seem to have an interest in that. I personally don't really like care all that much about, about my data like, and like protecting my data. Yeah. I think that's basically unavoidable if you want to interact with the internet. Yeah, that's fair. It does seem to be, um, okay. So if you listen to that Peterson podcast, I say you. It does seem to be the best way against, uh, to like protect ourselves from like some sort of like AI, uh, uh, like monarchy situation. Uh, um, I think it does that. And then if there's like one other function that served, um, another issue they were worried about was that like, okay, so you have this technology that replicates people, um, and they were worried about not making money off that like okay let's say there's like there's you and then there's internet you and internet you is being used for all of these things and just the pot like the uh, logistics of tracking that usage and then getting the funds to you because that's you are you oh you like earn that money like it's your money um they were worried about that i don't know if that is tied into the local ai thing that we were just talking about i don't think it is but it is an interesting uh interesting thing to consider because you're now going to have like just all these versions of people and um you know i'm going to be pissed if there's like a version out there that's making doing better than i am and uh, or whatever right. and any of that any of that money <laughs> yeah so like are you concerned about i guess data usage and ai like would you want something that's completely offline that you can just use locally there's no connection to the internet at all or do you not really care all that much um yeah i think so i mean like am i worried about my data yes do i do anything to protect my data no all um, right <laughs> so, so yeah talk about being living in contradiction but but yeah i'd be all for i don't know, I'll, Certainly would like it to go that direction. Mm -hmm. I, yeah, I, 
I don't care all that much. I would definitely like the option to. Uh, like I know anything that I'm putting into ChatGPT, for example, that they're going to store it, they're going to use it for retraining their models to make them better or whatever. And I'm perfectly fine with that. But there are certainly like, I guess, business applications I could think of where I wouldn't want to do that. Like if you're, if you're allowing an AI to interact with, say, your, your customer information um, to do whatever, whether it's analysis over your, your business metrics, or maybe you just want it to like interact with your customer database to where you can learn insights on all of your customers. Like you obviously for larger companies, you don't want to put that into chat GPT. Like that's private information from your customers. Like you could get sued for that. And so there's certainly lots of like business applications I could think of to where these locally ran offline models are, they make perfect sense. But yeah, I'm not like, I've kind of come to the like acceptance that there's no way really to avoid hiding all of your data without going through tons of different loopholes. Like it's just more of a inconvenience than anything. And so I personally don't care all of that much, but I can definitely see why, you know, a lot of people are, are striving for that. And I think it's, it's a good option to have regardless. So and I think that's, what, that's where things are heading. So, Yeah. The privacy thing is interesting. I feel like we've slid along, like a, a long ways on that. You know, like 30 years ago, the idea of your, any bit of information about you, like just being, given to the whole internet would just like, or I mean, the whole world essentially would just freak people out. But now we just don't, I don't think twice. I mean, I would like to, but yeah, yeah. I don't. <laughs> just like, let me use your app. <laughs> right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I think most people would, like, I, I know that my, my, my phone is listening to things that I say or whatever. Like I'm, I, I know it. And Apple will tell you that it doesn't, but they're lying. Amazon, like the Alexa stuff in everyone's homes, like they aren't doing this because it's cool. And like, you can talk to it in your house. Like they want data. All of these companies want data. And it's the, it's not really. Yeah. It's just, uh, you talk about something with a person and then like 20 minutes later, you see an ad for it on your phone. It's all you need to know right there. Is yeah, it's not a it's not a coincidence at all. Uh, no. <laughs> but no, but that's like a another interesting thing too regarding these AI models that are being trained. I think there's like about like there's there's definitely like a a war on data. I guess you could call it that's starting. I mean, Twitter after Elon bought Twitter, like one of the first things he did was cut it off to anyone that had access to Twitter's data. Uh-huh. And also now he's like implementing a lot of measures to where people can't scrape Twitter's website for data as well. So there's definitely a, a kind of heating up in terms of, I think a lot of companies are going to be like, like you got Reddit, for example, they're going to want to charge money for these AI companies to have access to their website. And so I think there's a lot of, a lot of unanswered questions regarding like, do these companies have the ability or have the right to do that? And if they do, like how much are they going to charge? What are these deals going to look like? 
I think we're going to start seeing a lot of stuff come out on that aspect. Man, that's just, it's kind of weird to think about how like data is the resource to have. Um, that's just kind of weird. But also, do you think like, is it possible that an AI just learns to mimic? I mean, obviously it can mimic a person, but like, it just like signs up for a Reddit account on its own and then just starts going ham through all of Reddit. I guess it's possible, but even then I would, I think you could probably consider that to be scraping because it's like automated data accumulation. So unless yeah. it's just oh, like a, Yeah, I agree. It's definitely scraping, but like, I just see this, like, you're going to have like special agent AIs that go in and do right. black ops crap off <laughs> Reddit. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess like there will come a time where these AIs can get advanced enough to where it's not really detectable by like whatever automated system they're using to like prevent scraping. So yeah, it's going to be hard to avoid, but I mean, you're already seeing all these companies do it. Like Twitter obviously did it and there was a lot of controversy on that because they implemented uh, like a rate, rate limiting for a certain period of time just to prevent people from from scraping while they built out all the, mm -hmm. all the technology to, to, to stop people from scraping. And then literally a week later, threads did the exact same thing. Um, and a lot of like the controversy around Reddit that's been happening over the past few months has been regarding data. So yeah, I mean, I personally think it makes sense for these companies to charge for their data. Like, why would you not? Mm -hmm. instead of just have like open AI, like they were so far ahead of everybody else that they got to just grape the entire internet pretty much, I guess, under the radar in a sense to where there was really any kind of controversy. But now that all yeah. these other websites and companies are like locking up their data it makes it way harder for new AI startups to do the same thing because they're going to have to pay hundreds of millions of dollars for access to the data that open AI scraped for free basically yeah that's interesting uh yeah i keep thinking like uh, now i think of data as like oil but it's like if you're like a country rich in data you're just set which yeah it's kind of an interesting thought that's why i think like america is in a very solid position right now in terms of AI. I think the company that, or sorry, the country that wins AI will be the global dominant force for the foreseeable decades. And I think America is like pretty far ahead in that aspect. So that keeps me like yeah. pretty optimistic on like the trajectory of our, of our country. Yeah. We should look into that. We'll see if like, have you heard anything out of China? About AI? Mm -hmm. Not really. I saw, I think it might've been a couple months ago, I read that they're working on a chat GPT competitor, but I don't think they've put anything out. So I, I either yes. I have okay, so, anything or they're just staying under the radar on what they're working on. Yeah. Okay. So consider this, um, 
okay, so like they, they really, now that everything's locked down here, you can't scrape our data. So they, but they, I mean, they have a, just a crazy ton of people there so they can scrape their own data, but it's censored. It's not like true human interaction. I don't know that for a fact, but I mean, just my understanding of the CCP, like you can't just go say whatever you want on, on the web out there. So, so it's like fake human data. So they're kind of like behind, like they're screwed. Like they're, their large language models just cannot be as accurate and uh, as competent or whatever as ours. So that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't see how they could like catch up in any way. I think if any what if country it, was to be a, go ahead. What if it like, yeah, there's, hmm. I mean, I think it ultimate result of it still seems unlikely in my head, but there's a potential for that allowing for more free speech in China because they, maybe they're put in a position of like, well, it's either we let people speak their mind and we figure these models out or we're just screwed. Yeah, no, that's, that's a good point. I think if there was any country that would be like a rival to us on AI, it would be China. And like you said, I mean, their, their version of the internet is much, much different than ours. And I would imagine that the AGI that they want to build is probably a lot different than the AGI that we're wanting to build. So that, that in itself kind of scares me alone because they can kind of just at the moment, there's no global like regulation for AI. It's just, everyone's just kind of attacking it in their own way. And so, I mean, yeah, you can I don't assume really like, you can assume their parameters are going to be creating an AI that's sole goal is like to keep the CCP in power. That would not be unrealistic. God knows yeah. what that thing will do. <laughs> yeah, it's it's worrisome for sure. I and I I, I I we've had this discussion before. Like I don't I think we can all agree there needs to be some level of regulation for AI globally. I don't know what that really should look like, but I think you're yeah, I think you're gonna have to fight a war though to make that happen. I mean you think China's going to listen to anybody about that? Right. Yeah. I, yeah, I don't know. Maybe there's some, maybe it's an unrealistic scenario, but maybe there's some sort of like, or I don't know. I probably wouldn't, have, wouldn't make sense at all. I was going to say maybe there's like some sort of deal that could be made where like these large U.S. companies would sell parts of their data to China to help them train their models, but on the premise of like, you know, we do like, if we're going to do this, if we're going to sell you the data, mm -hmm. then like, it needs to be done under these certain parameters, but I don't see that happening. <laughs> so should that, um, that's interesting. That, uh, might be a good way to like get things forward in a, a positive way, but, um, also maybe it should now be considered like traitorous to sell your data to China since the stakes are so high. Um, yeah. The one thing China does have going for them is TikTok. I mean, the largest, I think the largest social media platform mm -hmm. by users, maybe Instagram is bigger, but I mean, 
at least within like the younger generations, it's obviously TikTok. Oh and, yeah, I didn't think about TikTok. Yeah, maybe now I'm so, pro bad TikTok. I don't. Know. I personally that's not my official that. stance. Really, yeah. I don't. I mean, I don't think it ever. To me, I guess it didn't make sense till just right now. Why I, have you been just for these same reasons? Yeah, just for. I mean, Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, these are all banned in China for obvious reasons. Um, and why we've allowed TikTok to be used openly in the US, I don't really know because I know they have like, TikTok has like a US division that I want to say is located here, like, like actual physical location here. But I mean, there's just no way that this data is not being shared directly to, to China. There's just no way. And also, um, the, and I remember this was like two or three years ago, Andrew Schultz, the comedian put out this video and he said at the time it was like speculation and kind of meant to be joking, but it, it's like turned out to be true, um, that TikTok could alter the the TikTok algorithms based on the country. So the Chinese algorithm for TikTok was meant to feed the younger generations like educational content, like meant to actually benefit society, like science, math related stuff, like very productive things to make their citizens better. And the US version of TikTok, which I don't use TikTok, but I feel like most people that have been on there know it's just like, I don't know how to describe it other than like, it's like brain dead content. Like it just feeds you stuff yeah. to dumb you down. Like people doing silly dances. Like, so there's definitely a level of manipulation there as far as it's like psych psychological manipulation, really. Like they just feed these people like, oh, the way to get famous and make a lot of money is to just be like this dumb version of yourself that does dances on the internet. And then all these kids yeah. see it and like, oh, that's what I need to do. Yeah, I, um, I've seen that proposed before as well. I'm sure like, yeah, that's, it's probably a thing. Um, do I get in just to play devil's advocate? I interact with TikTok every now and then, uh, my fiance uses it. She, her feed, it's like family stuff. And you'll see like people like working out into fitness. So like if you're like, if you're, um, conscientious, conscientious about how you use it, then it can be productive, I would say. But, um, yeah, I would certainly say like, it's probably just naturally set up to, to do what you described. Yeah, I agree. I, it's not like, I don't think it's like super blatant to where, like, like you said, when you guys use TikTok, like it's not just that same kind of stuff, but these kids who aren't really as conscientious, con whatever that word you just it's said was, it's so, yeah, about, it's so hard. <laughs> um, about like what they're looking at and interacting with on TikTok, like they're just naturally going to fall into that trap of like these stupid videos that are really just kind of dumbing people down. So yeah, sure. that's, that's why I've had the stance of like, let's just, I, I mean, even if we did ban TikTok, like now that all these other websites have like kind of replicated the TikTok model, like Instagram reels and stuff, like it's, it's the damage is already You're still going to be able to get that. 
Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I got you. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, okay, so let's say you're like, you really don't want TikTok to be banned because you like it. Well, like you just said, there's already so many platforms that are essentially the same. Like, you're still going to be able to have that uh, that yeah. type of feed, so. Yeah. Yeah, that seems like a, this seems like a, something that makes sense. The bit. Yeah, and that's, I had one. I mean, we could go into this forever, really, but that's one, like, thing that I'm glad that I'm not currently, like, a kid in the, like, living in our current generation or whatever, like, being raised with this instant access to TikTok and stuff. Like, when we were growing up, we didn't have all that much social media at all. Like, the first one we really had was, like, Facebook, I guess, and even that was, like, you know, pretty tame, but now kids growing up with yeah. youtube tiktok like i i think there's a lot of damage being done to mm -hmm. the younger generations with these apps i sound like an old man saying that but i mean you do yeah <laughs> it's yeah probably yeah you're you probably you are certainly right to some degree um but like especially with youtube that's what's interesting about youtube is like it's a bit it can be very enlightening. So yeah. If you just, if you learn how to use it right, um, yeah, then it's, then it's good to go, but certainly it can be just, just turn your brain to jelly. Well, that's like, if you think about how these platforms are designed, they're just like dopamine machines, basically. Like they're literally designed to keep you on there as long as possible and keep you stimulated as long as possible and you're not the way to do that is not by feeding you educational content you know it's just by feeding you whatever makes you like the happiest to sit there and stare at for hours so just the incentive structure how they're built it's not productive um but like certainly like what we do like i i use youtube and Twitter and all these sites for like learning about business stuff, about just finding educational things that I think are way more productive. But for the kids that aren't like thinking about that, just because they're too young, like the way that their feeds and stuff are going to be designed, it's just like, I think there's a lot of consequences that could come from it. Yeah. Yeah. If, yeah, for sure. If you're a parent, you got to just be like, really focused on teaching your kid good internet habits because it's like them it's just like their life like i mean it's ever i mean i'm not saying it's kids lives like it's all it's my life like i'm yeah. just almost constantly connected to the internet and uh so if yeah. you screw up uh developing your internet uh, the way you use the internet you're just you're just kind of like screwed for life i guess mm -hmm. yeah it's unfortunate, but we kind of got a bit way off our, our topics there, but um, I guess to bring it back, is there, is there anything else that you wanted the, to go over or? Mm -mm. No. All right, cool. Well, that was our 10th episode finally in double digits now. I think going forward, we should be. We've kind of been sporadic with our schedule, but we're going to try to do our best to like be more consistent with weekly episodes. So yeah, I we're guess we'll wrap things up here. We're going to try and get in on this Twitter. 
uh, oh yeah, ad revenue sharing. <laughs> Absolutely, Twitter ad revenue, the YouTube. <laughs> but yeah, thanks everybody for watching, and then we'll we'll be back next week.